Castle, episode number 49, for April 21st, 2009. Return of the Warrior by Laird Long. Welcome to Podcastle. I'm M.K. Hobson, and today's story is Return of the Warrior by Laird Long. The story originally appeared in the Mammoth Book of New Comic Fantasy and also at www.sniplets.com. You know, I'm beginning to think that Podcastle editor Rachel Swirsky is making a habit of assigning me stories that bring together economics and fantasy. Oh, she thinks this one has credit default swaps in it. I'll send it to Mary. Or maybe it's just coincidence that I was asked to do the intros for both this story and Daniel Abraham's The Canebist and Lord Iron in the same go. Abraham's story has an unlikely hero in the form of a foreign currency exchanger, and today's story offers listeners another almost equally unlikely hero. Now, if Rachel would just send me a fantasy in which the heroes battle the dark forces of centralized banking and untrammeled inflation of debased fiat currency, I'll be in money-wonk paradise. Actually, I'll probably have to write that last one myself because it's my guess that no one else would be foolish enough to do so. Murray Rothbard, the noted Austrian school economist, says, If taxation is robbery, as indeed he asserts that it is, then it follows as the night the day that those people who engage in and live off robbery are a gang of thieves. Hence the government is a group of thieves and deserves morally, aesthetically, and philosophically to be treated exactly as a group of less socially respectable ruffians would be treated. Now, you may or may not agree with that darn Murray, but I'll bet you the artisans of the Kingdom of Ron, whom you are soon to meet, would find quite a lot to identify with in that statement. And if this story runs after April 15th, as I'm told it will, perhaps, dear listener, you will too. Author Laird Long writes fiction in many different genres, and his work has appeared in Blue Murder Magazine, Future's Mysterious Anthology Magazine, Plots with Guns, Hard Boiled, Albedo One, and many other magazines and anthologies. His story, Sioux City Express, was listed as one of the top 50 mystery stories of 2002 in the 2003 anthology The Best American Mystery Stories. The story is read by Alice Dare Stewart, the associate editor of our sister podcast, Pseudopod, and one of the editors of Hub Magazine, an online genre publication that you can find at www.hubfiction.com. Enjoy the story. The Return of the Warrior by Laird Long In the province of Sol, in the kingdom of Ron, all seemed right with the world. The potters potted, the sculptors sculpted, the painters painted, and the scriveners did whatever their name implies. For Seoul was home to the kingdom's artisans, a colourful colony of creative cranks who used well their artistic endowments for satisfaction of the soul and sale, and they toiled truly and profitably. But beneath the placid, pleasant exterior of the province and the people lay a seething resentment bubbled to near-surface boil by the erratic, practicality-impaired nature of the creative personality, and the indolence of a king who listened not to ill-formed complaints some two hundred leagues removed. A prickly current of unrest sparked and shocked the citizenry, for many held the opinion that the provincial governor, the wizard Cadil, was, in no uncertain terms, fudging the books, collecting taxes beyond what the law allowed. And, though the people of Sol claimed to be moved primarily by Muse, so too were they moved by a love of the good, old, cold stuff. 
The wizard Cadil ruled the province of Sul at the pleasure of King Dawn, a fatted lion of an emperor who oversaw his vast and vibrant kingdom with the sure and slight-handed aid of Zarek, wizard of all wizards, to whom the wizard governors reported directly. And, foremost among the wizard Cadil's tools of governance, beyond the merciless armies of Dawn, was the Tithal, the ancient righteous code of tithes and taxation written by those wise sages whom first trod the fair plains and lush valleys, climbed the craggy mountains, and forded the blue lakes and turgid rivers of the kingdom of Ron. Those founding deities well knew that a fair and just system of levies would serve to cornerstone the advanced civilization that they envisioned, just as the hand-hewn dung bricks, stenched though they may be, still serve as the cornerstones of the true and sturdy homes of the kingdom's citizenry. So it was that this code of taxation, embodied in the title and enforced by the army, served to unite the kingdom, furnish it with communal roads and bridges and dungeons, furnish the king and his wizards with a lifestyle befitting their status. As certain as death and taxes, the non-payment of the latter, summoning the former, was the smooth governance and functioning of the kingdom of Ron. We are gouged, aimed the actor railed in a back rose voice much larded with indignation. Jod the juggler supped at his grog and glanced nervously about the dim tavern. "'You can't be sure,' he whispered, twirling one bar of his moustaches. "'How can you be sure?' The subject of heathen coin never failed to fire the fine-tuned temperaments of the artisans like flame to flower, not only because of their unspoken love for the stuff, but because of their abysmal ignorance of the handling and bookkeeping of it, their impotence in the face of matters monetarily technical. "'The tithal is being abused!' Ainge yowled an exquisite profile, causing shaggy heads to rise from their gourds of inspiration. "'I know for a fact that my brother Wass in the province of Dram is paying far less to his wizard than I am paying to ours.' End up lifted his arms in supplication. Yet he earns much more than I as a mule brusher and stall sweeper of many years' experience. Huh. Jod mused, tugging now on his twin strands of facial hair. But, but the founding principle of the tithal is that each shall pay according to their earnings. Yes! End roared, his sensitive eyes registering a much baser emotion. One coined in gold. Jod chugged at his grog choked on it, his face burning as red as the copper drachma. But how can we, you, prove this gouging of which you, and you alone, speak? The tithal is thousands of parchments long, written in a script so cramped even bland seeing-eyed dwarf could hardly read it, and complex, it would be easier to swim naked and unscathed through the rock-bladed rapids of the snake-filled Keidal River than it would be to comprehend the tithal and all it contains. That is why a tax wizard is needed. George shrugged, defeated. We are artisans, after all, and know no more of numbers and clauses and calculations than a sloth knows of busy work. True enough, Ainde agreed, his voice dropping to the level of conspiracy, his lips leaking it. But we now have among us one who can wrestle sense out of the tithal, rebates out of the wizard Cadil. Jod's blackened eyes widened. Who? Ainde held the suspense a perfect ten beats, then tapped the right flank of his equine nose. Ehor. Jod dropped his gourd. What? You can't be serious, can you? The newcomer who dwells in the burnt orange cottage at the lee end of Sunset Road? He is but an ironmonger, with the two thick arms and shoulders to prove it. Once was tax warrior, Ain commented wryly, nodding both of his gourds. Thus it was that the province of Sol, in the kingdom of Ron, grew abuzz with the prospect of tax relief, as a swarm of bees grows agitated at the sight and the scent 
of a field of goldenrod, the prospect of pollination, and the honey that will come of it. The people began to believe that if only the massive, mysterious stranger known as Ihor could be cajoled into challenging the wizard Kadil, then the truth could be revealed, and, more importantly, the artisans refunded. "'You must help us! Help yourself!' Ained argued at the head of the twenty-strong delegation, artisans for accountability, that had marched on Ihor's cottage. They stood as a group under a blazing noonday sun that set their fair skin to burning and weeping, anxious for an answer. Ihor shook his boulder-like head. "'I am but an ironmonger.' He protested, platter-sized paws full of tongs and bellows. Amarin and abstracts, an objet d'art, an artisan like yourselves. Matters of money and the taxation of money are beyond my realm and beneath my dignity. As an artisan, yes, Ain agreed, the de delegation in turn nodding their collective, somewhat pointed, heads. But we know that you were once a mighty tax warrior, Ihor, a cruncher of numbers and a counter of beans, a holy disciple of the sacred tithe. The stave-thick thews on Ihor's tree-trunk arms corded and uncorded, and a bloated purple-pink worm of a vein throbbed in his temple. How do you know? Punt the painter spoke up. My cousin, Zolt, tells tales of how you fought, alone and armed, but with a magnified loss, through the maze-like fine print on the, the regulations of Roinder, to forge better trade ties with the kingdom of Nen. And my father saw you rush from the custom offices of Azul, howling at the head of a team of tax warriors during the Ron Azul tariff wars of many moons past. Natter to the needlepoint just pointed out, her eyes uncrossing, ever so briefly. Ihor's instruments of forging artistry thudded to the ground. Aye. Aye. And look at your hands! Ained wailed, grasping the He-Man's fearsome fists and flipping them over. The assemblage ood and then odd, as they saw for themselves the baby's bottom palms of the giant pale palms tinted with streaks of ledger ink, the unmistakable signs of accountancy. Ihor sighed as Bellows sigh when fully deflated, his mammoth body sagging. He had painstakingly built up a physique of sunburnished sinews, worn it like a suit of armour in order to shield him from his past, but his bookish hands had betrayed him subverted his desperate attempt to broach the cavernous gulf between a career of destruction and one of creation. "'You think the wizard Cadil is cheating you?' he said in a voice grand low and weary with the remembrance of gruelling account examinations past. The delegation roared. So it was that the reluctant warrior, armed only with a razor-sharp charcoal stick, a blood-red beaded abacus, and a brass-bound folio loaded with seven-column parchment, and his self-serving entourage, trod the dusty, hallowed ground that led to the imposing castle of the wizard Cadil. Once arrived, Ihor pounded on the drawbridge, his tacit supporters scuttling to safety in the surrounding shrubbery. Cadil appeared at a parapet, looked down at the giant, the frightened eyes peering out of the bushes. "'What is it you want?' he asked in a voice both foul and fearsome, his rancid breath stirring the warrior's nightshaded locks and nostrils. "'I am demanding an examination of your records,' Ihor replied, implacable and erect. Kadil stroked his wattled, wart-laden jowls and considered. The wizard collected taxes on all manner of citizens' incomes and tra transactions and usages in the province of Sol, under authority of the king, in full compliance with the terms of the title. It was understood, but it was the right of any citizen.' inspect their wizard-kept records, consult one of the ten hand-calligraphed copies of the title that resided at the wizard's castles. But no citizen ever did, for all knew that none but a tax wizard schooled and steeped in the ways of the title could ever hope to come to grips with the sheer immensity of material, the complexity therein. "'Surely you jest,' Gadiel finally replied. "'I jest not!' 
Ehor bellowed. I demand entrance and audit. Audit? Cadil was shaken to the fawn-skin bottoms of his pointy, ankle-high boots. Such a word was anathema to the financially ignorant colony he ruled. Well, come in, he hissed eventually, the sleeves of his monochrome tunic already writhing with the tricks that they held. Ehor and the band of artisans followed the wizard deep into the book-lined bowels of the granite, gold-fixtured fortress, through wending, spike-walled hallways, down tottering, kindle-dry staircases, across open, leech-thick plumbing, till at last... With half of the group still somewhat intact, they came upon the entrance to a small, stuffy, single-candle-lit room, crammed to the cobwebbed rafters full of sharp-edged parchment and paper, splintery chunks of pulpwood, stone-heavy journals and ledgers, and reams, and reams of bland, boilerplate forms bearing scrawls and figurings in what was supposed to be the language of numerology. And there, amidst the dangerous disorder that threatened to break into chaos, nesting in a towering, bristling stack of papyrus atop a wobble-legged desk of flammable balsam minus its chair companion, lay a copy of the title, all 10,248 word-cramped, onion-skinned pages of it, complete with 257 attached appendices, shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder with 149 companion volumes of euphemistically entitled clarifications. All is as it should be, at your disposal, Cadil crackled, spreading wide his pasty, pixie-thin arms at the unholy mess. He waded through the crinkly flotsam, pages disintegrating and sheaves sticking to his charged robes as he did so, and tried to heft the mightily engorged title, and failed. I assume it is with this tome that you would like to begin, he brayed, caressing the unwieldy, rusty-hinged volume of revenue procurement regulations. "'You know what happens when you assume, don't you?' Ehor replied, both rhetorically and insolently. "'I am already familiar with all that lies between the covers of that manual, wizard.' Cadil gasped. "'What? What is this?' he jabbered, his jaundiced orbs darting around the muscle periphery of the giant, striking the delegation of artisans cowering behind. They vanished yet further into the wake of their gargantuan representative. "'How can one such as yourself be familiar with what lies within the title? An artisan?' Ehor did not respond, for he was keenly observing Cadil, seeking physical manifestations of malfeasance, the scent of fear a thing sharp to his sensitive nose, the body language of deceit a thing naked to his shrewd eyes. You have won the week, Cadil gritted, and the battle was joined. The wizard Cadil behaved as any resentful being being audited would behave, which is to say, badly, and as someone arrogantly used to getting his own way, to unquestioning obedience. He behaved that much worse. He was recalcitrant in addressing even the simplest of Ehor's questions, such as where documents lay and journals were to be found, misdirecting his inquisitor to the appropriate ledgers, then feigning ignorance and absent-mindedness, and then outright hearing impairment. Ehor was undeterred, however, and he dug through the mountain of material on his own, sifting and shoveling, exhuming the items he would require for a thorough examination. Cadil saw Ehor's expert documentation-gathering techniques, his unflagging processes of polished audit evidentiary accumulation, and he went into action. He commenced showering the giant with paperwork in a confusatory, perverted spirit of cooperation, tearing open drawers and cupboards and cabinets, and flinging out chits and chats and receipts and invoices, whole anvil-weighted sub-ledgers packed with notations and numbers, foot-wide logs, thick with spidery figures, calculations arcane and convoluted, striving to bury Ehor and his clarity of thought and purpose in a blizzard of apocryphal records, some germane to the warrior's purpose most obfuscatory.
And when, still, Eho slogged onward through the fibrous onslaught, his brow filled like a sweat-stained battle flag, his teeth clenched as the steel jaws of a trap are clenched upon their hapless prey, his eyes gleaming with the bloody zeal of the battle-hardened number disciple, driving ever forward on the rocky ragtag audit trail, checking and rechecking and cross-checking, calculating and comparing, balancing and booking, Kadil gripped his flowing Eunuchian robes and swirled them about, as if in disgust the real purpose being to send the entire chattered heap of documentation swirling about tornado-like, the slashing, ink-jotted paper spinning and spinning, sorting and resorting, coming together and apart without rhyme nor reason either. But Ehor stood his ground inside the dervish of debris, bleeding copiously from paper cuts yet unbowed, snagging and hauling down the scraps of information he sought, cunning orbs scouring pages and columns for relevancy and revelation. He did not compromise, nor did he skimp, performing his examinary tasks fully and completely, with a dour doggedness that would have left lesser men dulled and lifeless. The artisans stared from behind their oak-ribbed door shield in dumbfounded awe, never before dreaming that the world of accounting and taxation could be so violent and variable. They cheered lustily when Ehor ticked, clapped gustily when he bopped, watching wide-eyed and wonderstruck as their heroic warrior reaped the pulpy, number-scrolled whirlwind. "'Finding everything you need!' Kadil howled above the tumult. "'Everything agreeing!' "'So far,' Ehor replied, nonplussed, his fleet fingers manipulating the beads of his abacus with blinding speed, scratching down figures in his folio fast and furious on the fly. His abacus and charcoal, and the brilliant mind that drove them, were the weapons of Kadil's possible math destruction. Hours and then days dragged by, the battle raging on and on, Kadil unleashing his full arsenal of audit-thwarting techniques. He counted out loud over and over, playing havoc with Ehor's mental arithmetic, his powers of concentration, reciting random numbers in a shrill, sing-song voice that had the dead-tired delegation clutching their ears in stultified terror. And, to Ehor's legitimate and legal inquiries of clarification, Kadil responded in a tongue as forked as a serpent's, his answers doubling and trebling back upon themselves, meandering around and around and going nowhere, their points blunted and lost, in a voice now hale, now hushed. Still, Ehor plucked out the gems of information and assurance he needed from the fractured responses and fractious paperwork, his spirit strong, his senses heightening rather than fading. Six days so passed, each grinding hour like the one preceding, the world of life and light beyond the stale stone walls a long-forgotten thing. The wizard Kadil grew desperate. Ehor was tying things together as surely as a butcher binds a pig to a spit, and then fires it into oblivion, inching unrelentingly ever closer to conclusion, questions becoming answers, to-do points resolving, calculations being proved. So, Kadil sneezed, and sneezed again, imparting from his suddenly running nose, his treacherous nostrils, a mystical secretion that settled like a fine mist over the maelstrom, blurring everything within the cloistered compartment. The figures on the documents Ehor was studying, the numbers in his folio, seemed to fade, jumble, mix and mismatch, rendered shapeless and, potentially, meaningless. Ehor looked at the wizard and gave his rugged head a shake clearing the cobwebs of confusion. Then he grinned a ravenous grin, his bloodshot eyes clouded now only by wretched remembrance. I've seen all such tricks before, wizard, he snarled, and more. I've pieced together ledges frozen by icy coughs, and shattered to shards of their former selves, been swept out to sea in roiling red ink swells, engendered by the waves of a wizard's arms, and had lead-jacketed account books rained down upon me like square-shaped hail. 
by the telepathic wobbling of dry rotted shelves. I've seen it all, and worked through it all, till by gods, I got my audit satisfaction, and now I render my opinion on your records, Cadil. The musty paper stream room was suddenly shrouded in silence. The delegation of artisans pricking up their ears, the wily wizard Cadil clutching a trembling hand to his quivering lips. It is a qualified audit opinion, Ehor intoned, passing a doomsday judgment, a wizardly death sentence. He threw aside his charcoal and abacus and advanced on Cadil, consulting his notes. I give as but one example, the June 23rd transaction between Ute the engraver and Wunt the whittler, wherein Ute performed engravement on one of Wunt's whittled wind instruments, and you, wizard, applied a 2.5 transaction levy on the sale of service as per the title. As per the title, Cadil breathed. Then you rebated Wund at the rate of 3.25% of the 2.5% levy that he'd paid. Again, as per the title. As per the title, Cadil chanted, mesmerised. But then Wund subsequently sold the whittled wind instrument to Maud the musician. The 2.42% remaining levy now forming part of the cost of the blowpipe. And yet you had Maud pay the full 2.5 transaction levy on his purchase, on the full cost and markup of the product, without giving credit for the input tax already paid. Tax on tax. Double taxation, Cadil. Something expressly forbidden by the title. Cadil recoiled in horror, and the enraged mob surged forward. Zarek, wizard of all wizards, fled to the throne room of King Dawn upon receiving news of Cadil's treachery of the burgeoning tax revolt in the province of Sul. The king, however, had already been informed, and he greeted Zarek with his palace guards, who promptly seized the wizard. "'What is this, my lord?' Zarek shrieked, struggling in vain to free himself. Dawn shrugged his heavy, fur-mantled shoulders and said, "'Your wizard in Seoul has been proven a tax-cheat, Zarek. He lies dead, and the province lies in rebellion. And his failure is, of course, your failure, and thus you too must be executed as his superior and collaborator.' Dawn smiled reassuringly. But fear not for the kingdom of Ron, for I have dispatched an army to crush what little revolt the artisans can muster, and the tax warrior, Ehor, will soon be impressed back into my legion of accountants. All will then be well again. What about me? Zarek wailed. I knew nothing of Cadil's treachery. And, indeed, you should have. Dawn waved one of his jewelled hands, and his guards dragged the kicking and screaming Zarek away to the chopping block for a mandated tax cut. The king then shook his crown-mantled head and chuckled, reflecting ruefully on the vast sums of money lost to him in the form of kickbacks, now that the wizard Cadil's scheme had been exposed. Death and taxes. Inevitable indeed, he mused. Sweet Savage Sorcerer by Esther Friesner was episode number 43. Although it was a parody, some listeners were not amused. On the blog, Dave was just one of many feeling underwhelmed. I desperately wanted this story to have something interesting to say, he wrote. Some fun twist beyond, hey, there's a lot of bad writing, and when you do it intentionally, it's worse. But it didn't. And on the board, Super Grover said, I'm sorry, but this send-up is as bad as the material it mocks. I found nothing about it humorous or enjoyable. But some did indeed enjoy the joke. Also on the blog, Richard said, I actually enjoyed this. It was a lot of fun to listen to, and you could tell our host was having a fun time reading it. The generous helpings of overblown innuendo actually made me chuckle out loud on the bus. And Pitmonkey said, I think this story is getting a bad rap. 
Waiting for a punchline? The entire story is a punchline. Come visit us at forum.escapeartist.info and let us know what you think. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnitude.com. You can discuss this episode of Podcastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Albert Einstein said, The hardest thing in the world to understand is the income tax. <laughs> <laughs>